You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Put your name to shame, cover up your face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. We are continuing our draft week coverage, being joined by someone who knows the Buccaneers, I'd say pretty well, from the Draft Network from the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, and every once in a while still popping up over with our friends at Pewter Report, Mr. Trevor Sykema. Trevor, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good, guys. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's 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 been a while, so it's exciting to have you back on, talk a little draft before uh, you know you guys get to your, your Christmas celebration there in Nashville. Yeah, that's what it really feels like, the draft week. Uh, truly, I, I said, uh, I was saying this earlier this week, man, there are 52 weeks of the year, a lot of them have some great holidays, some great celebrations, all that kinds of stuff. But there's only one draft week, man. There is only one draft week, and it's going to be a lot of fun come Thursday. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Trevor, we're going to go ahead and we're just going to dive right into it because we know you're a big Ed Oliver guy. There's a, a pretty big divide in Buccaneers fandom on social media, as there always is. A lot of people want to go at Oliver. There are plenty that want to go with Devin White. My question to you is whether the Bucks are picking at number five or Jason Light works his magic and trades back a little bit. If the Buccaneers come away Thursday night with Oliver or White, regardless of who's on the board, you know, can they go wrong with either guy? Honestly, no. But uh, you know, what would what would draft season be without some some healthy debate on on Twitter? Uh, so I won't I won't tell the people that. I'll let them bicker it out a couple extra days. But no, honestly, they can't go wrong. And either way you look at it, let's start off the Ed Oliver way. You know, when you, you when you look at this team, you've got to just assume that Gerald McCoy is not going to be on the team, right? I mean, right. you've got to go into twenty nineteen thinking that he's not going to be. That relationship is has gone sour, and it's gone sour pretty quick. I just don't think that he's going to be back. They're going to they're hoping they can still trade him probably on draft weekend here coming up. But if they've got no trade partners, they're just going to cut him. Uh, they're not going to be able to to make it work. I don't think at this point it'd be real a real long shot. Um, and so that would leave a big hole open at a really key position, okay? Buccaneers fans, you know, for the people that want Devin White, I understand why you want Devin White. We'll get to that in a second. But Bucs fans know because it wasn't too long ago when their defensive line, the defensive line they rooted for, had nothing. And that was two years ago when they were dead last in the league in sacks, right? If you take Gerald McCoy off of this team and you're looking at this defensive line, sure, Jason Pierre-Paul had a good year last year, but moving to a kind of a different system, you know, he's going to play a little bit different of a role. So you have him, but then Bo Allen, uh, you know, Vita Vea is still coming along as a pass rusher, but you really want to count on him as the main pass rush guy. I mean, Carl Nassib, okay, can he repeat the year he had last year? Shaq Barrett, sure, you like the upside, but it's, again, a new guy. So you're not really sure where you're getting a ton of this production from on the defensive line. Then you guys got Will Golson and uh, Devontae Bond, but they're not reliable players. So then you just realize that you have a giant glaring need at a really key position on the defensive line. You draft that Oliver, man, I really like the pairing of him and Vita Vea. Uh, I think it gives you a really athletic, strong, gap-penetrating, one gap-penetrating, which is very key, 
still for a Todd Bowles defense, uh, and a, a guy who really knows how to get after the quarterback. And I think he'd absolutely be worth number five overall, even at a little bit of a lower weight. And then Devin White, man, what can you say? He's a great player. Uh, I wrote about him last week. I did my He was one of my final uh, write-ups and film breakdowns that I did just kind of because I know Bucks fans have been talking a lot about it. And I ended the piece. You know, I looked at strengths and weaknesses of what he does well, what he doesn't, how he kind of outlooks to the NFL, knowing that he'll basically he's, – he's a lock for a top 10, top 15 pick. And I said this at the end of the article. Look, as long as you're okay justifying wherever you pick him, whether that be in the top 20, top 10, even the top five. As long as you you can justify that and sleep at night, you're never going to regret this guy being on your football team. He is the kind of guy on and off the field that you want. Uh, that's why I think the Bucks are in love with him so much. But then even beyond Devin White, you know, teams ideally like to go into free agency. They like to address a lot of the major needs that they have on the team. And then they they do that because they don't want to pigeonhole themselves when it comes to the draft, okay? The problem with the Buccaneers this year is they did not have the money to do that the way that they needed to. And now they go into the NFL draft with a major needed linebacker. And unfortunately for them, after the first two guys, Devin White and Devin Bush, it gets bleak. Like, you are not finding a year one starter most likely out of the rest of this group. And that's a big problem for the Bucks because even if they were to take that Oliver at five, they then have to pick a linebacker somewhere in the second and third round, and you might not even like the ones that you're going to see there. So it gets dicey for them if they don't take it because you look at Levante David, man. David, if you take him off this team, and we know that he has been hurt in the past, if you take David off of this team, even for a couple of games, who's playing linebacker? You know, they got nobody. And, and they're not, not only that, but they're moving to a system that's going to incorporate more linebacker play. So it's even emphasized even more. I don't expect Kendall Backwood to honestly play football again. That sucks to, to hear. sucks for me to say. But it just at this point, man, we're 10 months, 11 months removed from his accident. He's had a couple of setbacks, and we still don't have an answer on his future. That don't look good, guys. That don't look good. And, and, and so going into the offseason, you have to, especially in the draft, They've got to get linebacker help, and they can get a real good one in Devin White if they end up making the pick for him there. But it's hard to, you know, when you look at this one-and-one, like player for player, it's hard to look at either Oliver or White, no matter what side you're on, and think that they could be picking the quote-unquote wrong guy. Well, and and real quick before I kick it over to David, you led perfectly into a follow-up that I had for you. If I'm looking at this draft outside of Quinn and Williams, I am putting Devin White as my top player. And the reason is exactly what you just said. To me, no, you're not going to get an Ed Oliver type player on day two. However, I believe that since one of the strengths of this draft is along that defensive line, you can get a immediate starter on day two, whereas at linebacker, you're not going to get anybody that's going to do anything for you. After, as you said, after White and Bush are gone. So to me, Devin White should be the pick above Oliver just because of the position scarcity in the draft versus a defensive, you know, a group of defensive linemen that you can get early on day two that can come in and be immediate starters. And I think that the Buccaneers are very much along the lines of what you're thinking. Now, it's sort of dangerous to play that game. Because when you go round for round, 
yes, I think you can look at the draft and go, okay, here's where we have an idea. You can run different scenarios and say, this is where the class is strong. This is where we might still be able to get a guy in the later rounds. And I understand that. And that that's a viable strategy. You have to take that into account. But it gets a little bit dicey when you start going, okay, I'm not going to pick a player like Oliver, who plays a more important position of the game of football. This is not debatable, okay? He plays a more important position when it comes to a three-tech pass rusher. Passing on him just because you go, well, we assume that later in the draft we'll be able to get a guy that could, that could give us an impact. That's the part that gets a little bit dangerous. And But I, I will say that I think, I think the Buccaneers agree with you. I think that they are looking at this draft class and saying, hey, if we take White at five, if we end up getting White at five, or maybe even trading back a little bit, maybe perhaps even picking up Devin Bush, then we might have a better chance to capitalize on a couple of interior defensive linemen later in the draft, which I understand. And I, and I, I can see that. Like, that's a plausible, logical uh, conclusion to come up with. You just never know. It's still a little bit of a dangerous game. So if you want to roll that dice, hey, it might pay out for them. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, Trevor. So I'm going to kind of cheat uh, for my first question, if it's okay with you. We have a voicemail from a listener that I wanted to kind of throw your way. What's up, guys? It's Jobs of West Palm Beach. Just wanted to congratulate you guys on completely boxing that mock draft you guys did at the Draft Network. No, I'm just kidding. I would have thought uh, Devin Bush would have been there, too. But uh, just a couple of uh, draft thoughts uh, for you guys. And the first is, I just wanted uh, you guys' opinion on the value of pass rush versus coverage in today's NFL. What I mean by that is um, I see a lot of people sort of picking the idea of Devin White apart and how you need pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. But the truth is, when you look at a lot of these offenses, like the really proficient ones like Kansas City, L.A., New Orleans, the ball's coming out so dang fast that you got, if you don't have guys you can cover, it doesn't matter. So essentially, like, if you watch Drew Brees, if you really watch the same, he doesn't really give you time to stack him. So if you don't have the speed to cover these tight ends and slot guys, it's really sort of a moot point, which is why I really do believe that Devin White is the right pick at number five. And the other thing I wanted to bring up is whether or not you think we should be targeting a nose tackle in the draft. And I know a lot of people are penciling in Peter V as that nose, but in my opinion, I think that's a waste of talent. Just have him sort of take up space. So what I'm really picturing is maybe getting a guy like Dexter Lawrence in the second or... Um, the big guy from Texas A&M, maybe in the fourth round, having him clog the middle and then put Via Vea in attack mode, much like an Akeem Hicks in Chicago. So I was wondering your thoughts on those, uh, on those things as draft uh, day goes, draws closer. Thanks a lot for everything you guys do. Uh, have a good day. Bye. All right, Trevor. So to summarize Jonathan's voicemail, basically talking about uh, the, the horrendous, apparently, job that James and I did on our network mock draft uh, that you were very involved with. Um, and then, uh, you know, pass rush versus versus uh, uh, pass defense. And then uh, whether or not there's value in a guy like Dexter Lawrence, who uh, JC just came on the show with us on, on yesterday's episode and talked about how he's being told or, or hearing whispers that the Bucks are very interested in a guy like Dexter Lawrence. Yeah, so I'll just start with... Pass rush versus pass coverage. Um, definitely a good point. It, it's a good point there about how offenses are operating now, especially, you know, Brady, he's been, uh, she's been so good at this over the years. She's getting that ball out of his hands so quickly, getting it into the hands of his playmakers, letting them make plays, really forcing the defense to pan. There's definitely some truth to that, but that does not take away the fact that pass rush is still king. You have still got to be able to get to the quarterback no matter what. The closer you are to the ball at the snap, the bigger impact you can have. Uh, on the overall results of the play and where you definitely, you know, defense is 
defense is definitely a unit. Okay. Like this is, it, you got to work well to stop offenses and you got to work well all around. So there are, you know, it's not like you can have one without the other and expect yourself to, to really, I would say, even kind of, I guess, compete with that with, with, for a Super Bowl. But pass rush is still what you need the most because at the end of the day, you hope that your offense is good enough to be putting up points, right? So you're hoping that their offense, at some point in the game, you're forcing them to get a little bit more vertical. You're forcing them to kind of hold the ball a little bit longer, and that's when you really get after them. You get after them in those passing for sure passing situations um, and things like that. So passers are still king, although we're certainly seeing that you've definitely got to have some mismatch neutralizers, some chess pieces, if you will, in the defensive back to make sure that you're ready week to week. So, But that was a good point. And then um, what was the other question? Oh, Dexter Lawrence, right. So that I could totally buy. Like I can totally buy JC sources telling him that they are interested in a guy like say a Dexter Lawrence, maybe a Dalen Mack from Texas A&M, like the caller was talking about, something like that, because this this organization was so high on Vita Vea last year. Like, he was a, I think he was a top five player on their board. So they totally believe that Vea can be a pass rush option, and if you pair him next to a guy like Dexter Lawrence, that Vita could actually be a full-time 310. So I think that you know, I think that that's absolutely a possibility. I think it's a possibility there that they could be looking at it that way as well. So um, perhaps their top two targets or their ideal draft in Tampa Bay is Devin White at five and Dexter Lawrence there uh, at the top of the second round. That's very plausible. But do you think that Dexter Lawrence realistically, like if you had, I guess if you had to put percentages on it, what do you think the percentage is that Dexter Lawrence is still there when the Buccaneers pick in the second round? Mm, 30-35% I mean it's not that great Um, he's not I don't think he's a super coveted player but like certainly when you get to teams like the Chargers or the Colts maybe even the Eagles you know then you're talking about teams who who could who could show some interest in Dexter Lawrence and then you've also got you never know at the top of the second round people are looking to move all over on day two so somebody might be willing to jump the bucks to go get him something like that so Honestly, man, if they want Dexter Lawrence, they might have to move up from that early second rounder, either to the top of the second round or even back into the first round if they're going to want to snag him. It'd be a good draft call if they could get it. I'm just not so sure they could get it. Taking a look at this draft just overall, is it, how do you feel it's going to kind of play out for the Buccaneers? Are we looking at, at a few years back? I, I believe it was uh, – Lovey Smith's first draft where every single draft pick was offense. Are we looking at that style of, of draft for the Buccaneers only on the defensive side of the ball? I don't think so. Just because if they don't, there, there is still a potential that they address offensive line and running back. Um, certainly I think they're pretty set at wide receiver. If they were to draft a wide receiver, it would be very late in the draft. It'd be like a Justin Watson situation. Same thing with tight end. They're not really looking to get any, anybody there. And I think their offensive line is relatively set enough for them to not take a flyer on them super early in the draft. So, and then obviously running back as well. You know, they, they invested the high second round pick in Ronald Jones last year. They still like Peyton Barber. So if anything, there could be a couple of offensive picks, I would say on day three, but I don't think you're going to see an offensive pick before day three when it comes to this team. They just, their needs are clearly on the defensive side of the ball when it comes to acquiring talent certainly there's still an execution part of the offensive game plan that was lacking in cutters last two years that need to be better overall on the offensive side but it was never for lack of talent so i think that 
you can you can blame a little bit of defense. Certainly, Mike Smith didn't do them any favors, but you can blame some of it on that lack of talent area. You can't really do that with the offensive side of the ball. So I don't want to say it's going to be totally defense, but hey, you know, if we if this weekend comes and goes and they only pick defensive players, I guess I wouldn't be too shocked. So in the in the same vein, then. Uh, a lot of people have had questions. We we heard Bruce Arians earlier in the offseason kind of unprompted kind of rant and rave about how much he was surprised about Peyton Barber when he was watching film from last year. And, you know, Jason Light has mentioned that he's really excited to see what Rojo can do in this offense. But some people still aren't sold that a running back stable of Peyton Barber, Ronald Jones, uh, Andre Ellington can really be successful in this offense. How do you how do you feel about the running back group as it is right now? And do you feel like there's somewhere that the team needs to address it? If you give this team a competent offensive line and consistent offensive line play, I think that Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones can both succeed in this offense. The offensive line blocked so poorly for Ronald Jones, it was almost like they had like a bet against Ronald Jones, eclipsing <laughs> 50 total yards in the season. Like I couldn't believe it, right? I went back and I watched every single carry that Jones had, and out of the what I like, I can't remember like 20 or 30, however many it was. They maybe gave him a running lane three times all season. Everything else was terrible. Now, they kept trying to run both inside and outside zone with Ronald Jones because they wanted him to be more of a guy that could see a lane, make a cutback, do something with his speed. And Jones clearly did not have the confidence, both in himself and knowing the offense, to run a zone-blocking scheme play. But... The offensive line, it's not like they were blocking for him perfectly. It's not like the running lane was right there and he just totally missed it. It was never there, man. There were a couple runs where Ronald Jones was running all the way to the sideline for his own blocking play, and he's like, uh, where's the running lane, fellas? I need like, I need something here. So both he and Peyton Barber, if they have better offensive line play, those guys can make it work. This is a passing offense, okay? This is never going to be this ground and pound that, you know, the Ravens might run or or uh, or some other team in the NFL that's just so heavily, like Dallas, for example. The Bucks are not going to be that kind of a team. They're just not. They're going to be a passing-based offense, and they need a complementary running game. If you give this offensive line some more juice, have them execute a little bit better, I'm telling you, Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones can get it done. Trevor, this is something that I asked JC yesterday, and I'm I'm curious who it is that you're going to pick, but – Who is one guy that you've really kind of locked in on that no one's really talking about, but you believe Buccaneers fans should be elated if the Bucs were to draft him this weekend? Ooh, that's a good question. Okay, now I got to think. Now you're putting me on the spot. I got to think here a second because there's a couple of different positions that they could go. I mean, if they could get themselves a serious interior offensive line guy, like let's just go a sleeper, I guess. I mean, if they honestly, like you can the third or fourth round, they can get themselves like Ben Powers or Elton Jenkins, put one of those guys at right guard. Then that kind of complements what I was talking about before, really, really solidifies that offensive line. Make sure there's no holes there. The talent's there. The nastiness is there. That makes sense. Heck, if, even if they got a guy like, I don't know, maybe like a Dalton Reisner, and he, they got him to inside to play right guard, Whew, that'd be a fun offensive line. That would that would be a like almost a game changer on offense. I'm not so sure it happens, but those would kind of be those would be two guys that, that the Bucks but the Bucks fans could get really ecstatic about um, if they end up going corner. Now this is another thing that I thought about. They ended up going cornerback. 
and either pick Amani Arawarie or Justin Lane. Those are two guys who I really like because they give you the option to be more aggressive in the secondary, play more to the strengths of the attacking front seven that Todd Bowles is going to implement. We've seen with a lot of blitzes. And those are two guys who I think they would allow the Bucks to then move Vernon Hargraves inside full time as a nickel. And as a man coverage nickel guy, we saw Hargraves thrive a lot. And I'd love for him to get to continue to play that position because, look, playing nickel is not an insult, guys. Like, 70% of the time, the entire league's playing in nickel anyways. You need a good nickel corner. The days are gone when it's just, hey, we've got our lockdown cornerback, and the rest of the corners are really just kind of like, oh, whoever can play, blah, blah, blah. No, you need three good corners on your team, and one of them's got to be a slot specialist. And if they can get Vernon Hargraves to be that, that would be ideal. And they can do that by picking a guy like either Amani Arawarie or Justin Lane maybe in the second. I think both are probably going to have to be second-round picks. So that's got to be where they they, uh, they end up sticking their flag. But just because I'll, – I'll name those guys just because they're not really common picks, but they would be sneaky good picks for the Buccaneers if they happen. I'm really happy you said that because I remember when uh, Vernon was talking about Bruce Arians talking to him. Bruce Arians yeah. was talking about finding a nickel corner because they had Vernon Hargraves. And I said to myself when I heard him say that, you can find a nickel corner by drafting a Warrior. Because then you just yes. move BH three inside and problem yes, solved. Totally, I'm with you. Um, so another question we asked Jason, I think this is going to become a theme of the week. Is obviously Jason Light made his comments about trading back, and he's got kind of a line drawn of of where he's willing to trade back and and risk you know losing out on some potential blue chippers and where he thinks he's comfortable with the talent level. And as James and I found out in the Locked On Network mock draft, that if you trade back too far. Even when you're extremely confident in who's still going to be available when you trade back, uh, that might not happen. And because of that experience and what Jason Light said, I made my line. I moved my line. We traded back to 11, if you remember from the mock draft. I've now since moved my line to the ninth pick. Not saying yeah. necessarily that they trade with Buffalo, but just that's as far as I think the Buccaneers should or or would be smart to move back to. James says six. So, Trevor, where is your trade back line? Where would you feel comfortable with the Bucks trading back to and still getting uh, a blue chipper? Um, I mean, obviously six is, is certainly safer, but if, if we're trying to identify like the farthest they can move back, I, I would agree with you. I think it's nine. I think nine's the farthest they could move back for it to still, for them to be able to still get, I think one of those guys they talked about, one of those five core guys they talked about that they would be happy with. And mainly, I'm saying that the last guy on their list is probably Devin Bush. And if you let Denver get on the clock at 10, they're going to take Devin Bush. So, I mean, because I already assume that Devin White's going to be gone. So you can't move past 10. So no matter what Denver, unless Denver had already traded up to go get a quarterback or something like that, you can't really get much further than nine. And the risky part about even going to nine is, Depending on how Cincinnati feels about quarterbacks, let's say the Bucks when they come on the clock at five, move down to nine. Well, then the Jags at seven, maybe even the Detroit Lions at eight, could end up enticing to get a trade from Cincinnati to jump in front of the Buccaneers because Cincinnati knows the Bucks are going to take Devin Bush, so then they move there. So without a trade, I would say that like nine is the floor, but 
man, if you're if you're thinking in your head that you've got five prospects that you love, which is what Jason Light said, I've got to assume that those five players are Nick Bosa, Quinn Williams, Devin White, Devin Bush, and Josh Allen. That's what I think. I think it's those five. Three of those guys are going to be gone by, like, number six. So you're basically rolling the dice for three picks to see if that one or four of those guys are going to be gone by the top six. So I think that you're basically rolling the dice that the one guy is going to last three extra picks, which I'm not so confident about. So that's kind of the scenario that I would say there. If there's no trades involved, I think nine's the floor. But, man, you guys said it best. Anytime you trade back, there are no guarantees that the guy that you want is still going to be there. Yeah. So – you know what, Trevor? So since Jonathan brought up, I actually I do want to get your get your take and and full disclosure, I haven't actually completed uh, the series that that the network did on the mock draft. So you probably already gave a little bit of your take on what we ended up doing. So for for those who haven't caught it, we traded out number five. We traded back to eleven with Cincinnati. We got another second round pick and some other stuff. Uh, the 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 trade itself, I, I James and I both agree. I don't know how you felt about the trade itself, but we probably could have gotten more in a real world scenario. We basically just went off of the value pick chart, which I know isn't you know uh, concrete, but it's it's a guide, uh, mostly because James and I were actually working our day jobs at the time. <laughs> now that being said, in the way the board fell, how do you feel about Christian Wilkins? If if let's say worst case scenario, the Buccaneers came away with another day two pick and Christian Wilkins, how do you feel Christian Wilkins would fit in the in the Buccaneers defense? Because I made the argument that Bucks fans would be mad in April, but could possibly be happy in September. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, I agree with your first point, where if you're moving from five to eleven, you're getting a lot more than an extra day two pick. You, you really are. So I think that fans have to take that into account too. Is that y'all are probably getting a lot more than than what you ended up getting, just because that's such a big jump, and they're jumping into the top five. So you have to take that into account too. And if they can trade and get, you know, either multiple day two picks or even a day two next year or something and Christian Wilkins. Now we're talking Christian Wilkins is a really solid player, man. He's really good. I like him. I thought that he had hit his ceiling a year before and he really proved me wrong. He's just so effective. He's such a, he's such a master of what he does, how he can jump gaps, um, the confidence that he has as a pass rusher. He's played both nose tackle, three tech, even a little Clemson got crazy and had a couple of reps where he was playing five tech. But even beyond that, man, Christian Wilkins is lined up at tight end. He's lined up at fullback. He's lined up at halfback. This is a guy who is just like a football player. And he he would, again, play that three-tech role next to Vita Vea. He'd give them a lot of versatility next to Vita Vea as well, which I know the Bucks are probably um, pretty high on. So I've got to think that Christian Wilkins is actually pretty high on their board in real life. But uh, I'm not so sure they actually you know end up with him. But certainly, like you said, this is a player who, because – He's not being mocked to the Buccaneers currently. We know that Bucks fans would probably be like, oh, you know, what are they doing? Like, I wasn't expecting this. I don't know anything <laughs> about this guy, all kinds of stuff. But, you know, when September rolls around, and even I would say earlier, they'd figure it out in training camp when they get to know this guy, that Christian Wilkins would be a great pick. You and, and Ben on – Monday's episode of the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, where you know you were you were talking pretty heavily about quarterbacks. <clears throat> Can you describe for for our listeners that don't listen to you guys, which I'm not really sure why they wouldn't? Can you describe kind of 
what exactly is going to happen to you if Ben is right and there's four quarterbacks taken in the top 12? That's, that's just crazy, man. It's just crazy <laughs> to me to think that that, could, that that could happen with this class. But, man, I guess it's quarterbacks, right? I mean, there's nothing else I can say other than it's quarterbacks. That's it. Because when I look at this class, I think I had – I had Kyler. I just finalized my big board at the early part of this week, and Kyler Murray was, I think, twelve, number twelve overall. So he was a top fifteen player for me. The next quarterback I have is Drew Lock at like sixty three. Then I have Haskins at seventy two, and then Daniel Jones is like, I think, right, like either right at or right around pick number, like ranking number one hundred for me on my big board. So for all four of those guys to go in the top twelve would be crazy to me. I knew, Because think about it. You saw how quarterbacks were treated last year, okay? Four of them went in the top 10. Okay, what's the difference if four go top 12? There's not a difference. They're going to be expected to play in year one. And the only guy I could see having success in year one is Kyler Murray. These other guys aren't ready, man. So, whew, if that ends up happening, there are just some teams that are going to thrust these dudes into – the starting spotlight way before they should be. And, um, you know, I, I just hate it because I think there's some talent here with these guys. They just need some development. You've got to hope that they get with a good QB coach. Um, you got to hope they can develop quickly because if you're going in the top 15, guess what? You're playing year one, and you're going to be dependent upon year one. So it'll be, uh, it'll be a true test of, I guess, uh, how quickly these guys can pick it up if that ends up happening. <laughs> oh, that would be crazy. So following up on that real quick, Trevor, uh, a tweet went out recently. I can't remember for the life of me who sent it, but basically in the Daniel Jones is at the top of someone's board on the quarterback list and everybody knows yeah. who it is. And of course, everybody flooded to the Giants. But I thought about something today uh, watching NFL. I can't remember who on NFL Network was talking about the Giants are not drafting a quarterback in the first round, according to what they're quote unquote hearing. What if Daniel Jones is at the top of their quarterback list, but it's because they're not planning on drafting a quarterback till day two? Um. I mean, it's still extremely dumb because Kyler Murray is the best quarterback in this draft, and it's not even close. So, for if and like you, you, I think somebody said to me on Twitter when I quote tweeted that, and they're like, "Well, they just assume that Kyler Murray is not going to be there." Okay, that's not how building a big board works. <laughs> that's, not, that's, that's not how any of that works. So that's not a real theory. Um, but I, uh, you know, to the Giants' point, I don't think the Giants are going to take a quarterback at six. But I think they're going to take a quarterback at 17 or they're going to move up using number 17. They're going to get a guy that they want. Uh, I think that's going to happen. I think that the the whole – they're not going to take one in the first round. I think half of that's a smoke screen. I think they're right at number six if you're wrong at number 17. So, uh, you know, there's not – I don't really see a lot of truth into you know, looking at it like that just because that's not how you build big boards. That doesn't that doesn't make any sense. And if it, I, it, no matter how you slice it, if Daniel Jones is the number one quarterback on your board, then uh, you're bad – so, yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, I agree. That, that was my sort of half half attempt to maybe, I don't know, explain the Giants' uh, logic, which, good luck. It's hard, man. Don't even waste yeah. your breath. <laughs> like trying to explain John Gruden logic. Just, there is none. So, uh, leaving Indianapolis, a lot of people were talking about Ja'Kai Polite, uh, talking about what he did there, the Combine, or for a better, better sense, what he didn't do at the Combine. And and a lot of people left saying, okay, but let's see what his pro day is. You know, watch the tape. The tape is more important than the workouts, so on and so forth. But then he came on his pro day and pretty much had the, the same, if not worse, results as that he did the combine. 
for you, is Jakai Polite still a situation where you look at the tape over the workouts, or is his repeated failures in workouts or struggles, I guess you should say, more outweighing the tape a little bit right now? Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll say it to you this way. The workouts don't mean a damn thing to me. Like, I don't care, especially for Jukai Polite. Like, like when you look at Jukai Polite's 40-yard dash and you look at how slow he was, just pop on the tape. Like, does he run that slow? No. Okay, so now what actually matters about his combine? Because it's not the numbers. It, I don't care about the numbers of his, his athletic test because I've seen him be athletic enough to be a monster. Okay, that's what the, the combine is simply there to check boxes, okay? They're not for you to make these discoveries. You should see this athleticism on tape already. And I already do with Jakai Polite. So I don't believe that Jakai Polite is this like super slow guy who can't explode or can't jump or doesn't have flexibility. Well, like any of that, because I saw him do it for two straight years on tape. Now, where we get into where the combine matters is how did he go this wrong? Who is advising him? Mm-hmm. How is he not aware of this? Maybe he didn't even care. That's the part that matters. Jukai Polite got no worse at the game of football from the from January 1 to right now. He is still the player that we saw him on the field be for Florida over the last two uh, two seasons, or at least he is capable of that. What you now have to learn is who he is on the inside. Is this a guy who's going to stay motivated, or is he a guy who now just does not care now that he made it to the NFL? Where are his priorities? Does he know how to be an adult? Because when you become a professional man, People forget this. When you're a college athlete, especially at a D1 school, everything is planned out for you. Everything. And there's checks and balances. There's people there to hold you accountable. There's all this stuff. When you get to the NFL, when you become a professional, sure, you've got a supporting cast around you, but it ain't like college. They don't give you a schedule. They don't tell you exactly how to live your life, exactly what weight to lift, exactly how to eat when you're in the offseason, all this kinds of stuff. So then that comes down to you got you got to grow up, right? You got to mature. You got to be able to handle yourself as a man, and that's the part that you've got to figure out with your guy polite. Did he bomb the combine because he doesn't know how to handle himself? That's when it gets dangerous. Did he get any worse at football this off season? No, he did. Nor do I care about his athletic test. But you have to figure out why he tested the way that he did, and that kind of comes into um, parts of scouting that we don't really get a good look at, certainly from the outside looking in. Yeah. So when you so when you look at a team like the Buccaneers, obviously a lot of people think that Jakai Polite is now a day two prospect. Uh, if he goes to a place like Tampa with players like Shaquille Baird, who's been kind of working for everything that he's got, Carl Nassib, who's who's been on multiple rosters, locker rooms, and still able to maintain through struggles, and then of course Jason Pierre-Paul, a veteran presence, smart guy, successful guy. Would you be worried about a guy like Jakai Polite entering the Buccaneers locker room? I mean, I don't think they're going to pick him. Honestly, uh, I, he just does not seem like a guy that neither Arians nor Light are going to prioritize. Um, and that's just from me looking at his combine situation and thinking, okay, this is a guy who might not know how to handle himself, might not know how to be committed to the right things and all this kind of stuff. And um, Arians has worked wonders with a lot of people before. You know, like if Jukai Polite were to be on the Buccaneers, I think it'd be a great situation just because Arians is a guy to look up to, right? He is a, he is a role model. He knows how to get people back on the right track for the best um, for the best for whatever it is in their life, especially with football because that's his profession. But I just don't think that he's going to be an option for them. I really don't. I don't. I don't think that they would consider drafting him. 
it would kind of be against a lot of what Jason Light has the, the directions that he's been trending towards. So in terms of like, would the situation be fine? Sure, I think it'd be fine. I just don't think it happens. Like I don't think he's I don't think he's going to get drafted by the Bucks. Yeah, that's fair. And I remember uh, James and I we had a conversation with someone shortly after the combine about this exact topic, and I and I agree with you. And I said that while Bruce Aarons has, has worked with quote unquote you know questionable players in the past, their 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 question marks were not in the football atmosphere. Their question marks were in other atmospheres, and I think polite kind of falls into the area where his question marks are not ones that Bruce Arians would necessarily want to answer. Trevor, you are uh, you're currently on your way to to Nashville for the draft network live stream what are uh i I mean obviously besides the live stream what are you looking forward to most about uh about being in nashville with everyone from the network no it's just i mean it's exciting man i'm really looking forward to it this is our first year that we're doing this live stream we're going to be live all three days of the draft it's going to be right on twitter uh we're going to be hosting it right on the uh the draft network llc's twitter account um if you, we're going to be rotating people throughout the throughout draft weekend that are going to be on the desk and have all sorts of different opinions. We're going to have some special guests and former NFL players. It's going to be fun, man. We're going to have a blast with it. Um, just a heads up to everybody. We are going to be tipping picks, like as in the second that we know a guy is the pick, we're going to start talking about it on the live stream just because, you know, we kind of got to live in the real world. I know some people like the novelty of uh, – Hearing the commissioner make the pick and everything, and I respect it. I do. I, I do. I, I understand why people uh, enjoy that thing. But we got a job to do, so we got to do it. So we're going to be talking guys right away whenever we know the picks. But it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope everybody can tune into it, even for just a little bit. Um, going to be it's going to be a fun time. Yeah, I'm I'm good with you guys doing that. I'll be I'll be tuning in. The draft is obviously exciting, but also something happening this week, right? Is the release of the new Avengers movie. Trevor, is there a is there a hero that you you need to come back or to to undie or one who would then redie? I suppose uh, would just crush your soul, or do you do you not care? Um, I mean, I hate that T'Challa's dead, right? I mean, like I would have loved for him to 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 help them get to where they need to get to defeat Thanos, but uh, it kind of it makes sense the people that they left uh, still alive to do this thing. I'm so excited for this movie, guys. Like, uh, so <laughs> the draft obviously starts on Thursday, and I won't be able to see Endgame until 10 a.m. on Friday morning. So I'm basically going to be like, <laughs> I'm, it's basically going to be like back-to-back Christmas mornings for me. Uh, the first round of the draft on Thursday, and then getting to see Endgame on Friday. Um, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm already. I'm already like getting emotional about who they're going to kill off because I also just went back and I watched every single Marvel movie in order and I have so much more of a connection to the characters than I would have if I didn't do that. And so, man, I'm, it's, it, I'm, I'm looking forward to that basically as much as I am, uh, the second, the second day of the NFL draft. So it's going to be cool. So here's a here's a question, Trevor. Something that I've seen people talking about on social media. How are you attacking your bathroom strategy for Endgame? Oh man, that's gonna be so tough. So I'm not somebody who like has to pee all the time. So three hours is not a big deal for me. Like that's not a worry at all for me. Yeah, you're so still on the right side of thirty, though, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm 28, so I don't, I don't, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm gonna be good. I'm gonna be fine. I'm not moving. Yeah, we'll see how you feel after your 
drinking that 128 ounce icy. <laughs> See, I don't need that. I don't need that for a movie, man. I'm paying for the ticket. Just let me watch it and I'll get out of there. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I, my, my wife and I have our tickets to go see it, but not until the following Wednesday. Oh Lord, you better get off Twitter, stay off Twitter for (laughs) six straight days, brother. I'm going to do the same thing that I've done with Game of Thrones, which I only made one small mistake, but I mute all the words. I've muted Endgame. I've muted Iron Man, Captain Ray. I've muted it all. So if somebody tweets about it, it doesn't pop up on my feed. Wow. That is the pro move. Yeah, so I won't have to worry about that with Star Wars. Opening night, I'm there. I see where your priorities lie. Yeah. Hey, you know, I I have to, uh, if I have to prioritize one, I'm I'm taking Star Wars, but I do love Marvel. I'm going to be a blubbering mess when Iron Man dies. I fully believe that's going to happen, and it's good. I'm I'm going to be upset. I'm going to need counseling. I think it's uh, I think it's going to happen too. I think it is. All right. Well, Trevor, we certainly appreciate some of your time and and getting through all the early technical difficulties so we can get this episode knocked out. But love what you guys are doing over at the Draft Network. Appreciate all that you do. Appreciate your time. And man, safe travels and best of luck on uh, on Thursday night. Yeah, I appreciate you guys as well having me on. All the coverage that you guys do, it's uh, it's great to you guys have some great opinions. So anytime I get to join you guys, it's a lot of fun. So thanks. I'll, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you guys on the Twitter sphere from Nashville. I'm excited about it. Oh, absolutely. And of course, make sure that you're checking out the live stream over at the draft network, follow Trevor on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey and check out everything that he's doing at the DraftNetwork.com. You can check out everything David and I are doing over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Make sure you're sending us your voicemails to 813-444-5841. Today is National Lost Dog Awareness Day, which of course is something that is going to be near and dear to the heart of Buccaneers wide receiver Chris Godwin, and of course Mariah, his better half. Team Godwin works with the uh, abused animals. And so, of course, it is going to be a, a cause that they are going to be on the lookout for. We would like to thank you all so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks. I want you to love me like my dog does, baby. When I come home, want you to just go crazy. He never looks at me like he might hate me.